reading of the scriptures, uh, Psalm 25, invite your uh, reverent uh, hearing uh, in faith, uh, God's word here in Psalm 25, a psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Uh, Someone amazed uh, reading somewhere not too long ago that uh, there's an increasing uh, persecution of Christians all over the world. In some cases it's physical, in some cases it's doctrinal perhaps more so doctrinal in uh, the American church uh, by virtue of our legal system, but one never knows. That that certainly could be changed. Uh, But what is always certain is that uh, God delivers his people from persecution from whatever venue it comes. Uh, This is a a psalm uh, written by David because he's uh, being persecuted. and it's written for those who are being persecuted. And I will tell you a personal confession. There was a time in my life a couple of years ago uh, that I read this psalm virtually every day uh, because Christians are not immune. And sometimes we're persecuted by bosses, by family members, whatever venue, it makes no difference. Uh, we are, because of our personal faith in Jesus Christ, uh, 
to use a military metaphor, there's a target on our back and people come for us. And when they do, read this psalm. Because it is a prayer for those that are being persecuted. And so in times of trouble, we appeal to God for deliverance and acknowledge his guidance and forgiveness as the basis of our only hope in a dangerous world. Our psalm, interestingly enough, is an alphabetic arrangement in the Hebrew Bible, uh, meaning that each line begins with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, the technical word for that is an acrostic. Uh, probably it uh, was a mnemonic device. I don't know about you, but when I was in high school and college, I used mnemonic devices all the time to pass tests. I knew what the answers were, I just couldn't recite them totally, so I'd come up with some mnemonic device. I could remember a word, I'd make up words. Uh, that's what this is. Uh, again, uh, in the writing of the psalm, the scriptures at that time uh, had not been compiled, uh, but if people knew the Hebrew alphabet, they could uh, they could recite this psalm, regardless of the danger or the trouble that they were in. It's an expression of intense emotion uh, as the author appeals for help. It's also a lament psalm, meaning that the psalmist is in trouble, but God is his help. And it is a reminder to each of us that when we are in trouble, God is our help, because trouble and God go together for the people of God. So in times of trouble, we trust God for protection and vindication, verses 1 to 3. Uh, the psalmist begins by commending his soul uh, to God. Uh, and he trusts in the divine ability to deliver. Uh, there is, as you know, no absolute promise whatsoever in the Bible uh, that God would uh, grant us physical deliverance save the last resurrection. That is sure and certain. But Christians are killed for their faith, uh, they are murdered for their faith, they are hunted and uh, trapped for their faith. Uh, imagine being a Christian in North Korea and having this psalm. What a treasure that would be. Or a Christian in Saudi Arabia. Or an American Christian being persecuted uh, because of his theology and his faith. Uh, we commend our souls to God. Uh, and that is, of course, uh, something that God uh, will always do, protect our souls. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. The apostle say, writes to us after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Spirit of God has sealed us. It is a mark of protection. No force, therefore, can touch our souls because the Spirit is our ultimate protector. Verse 14, Ephesians chapter 1, who has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The Spirit of God is a down payment that God will come again and claim us to himself. And so in that sense, uh, giving our souls to God for protection uh, is a worthy prayer, but it is the prayer of a man in trouble and it's a prayer that God will always answer because he dispatches his spirit as well as the angelic forces to protect and keep our souls. 
And we know that angels protect us because of uh, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 3. God is about to pour out judgments upon the earth, but he holds the judgment back. And John writes, until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. So God protecting his own from the judgments that are about to be poured out upon the earth. It is a reminder that uh, trouble and God go together. It's also a reminder that all who are sealed in the Holy Spirit of promise will be delivered. The reason that he prays uh, for the protection of his soul uh, is, uh, verse 2, because he trusts in God, but because he does not want to be ashamed. This concept of shame is found uh, three times in his psalm. Uh, in some manner or form, he is afraid of failure or defeat in some manner or form that would disgrace him before the covenant community. People come sometimes to catch us in a trap uh, that we might be shamed, so perhaps that they can boast. That's why the psalmist is praying. He is certain that he will not be Because of verse 3, none of those who wait for thee will be ashamed. This word uh, wait is used four times in this psalm. It is a reminder that when we are in trouble, we must wait for the Lord. He is the ultimate deliverer. I'm not saying that you cannot use civil government or means, uh, physicians or counselors or Whatever the case might be, God gives us many means. But ultimately, when all of those things prove to no avail whatsoever, we can absolutely wait upon the Lord. Uh, and for those who wait, they will come to deliverance. It is the treacherous and the deceitful that will be ashamed. And that's one reason that we can wait upon the Lord. Uh, they come for us, they think, to shame us, to catch us in a trap. But God will come for them. Uh, and so, great reminder to wait, to wait upon the Lord. In our culture, it's one of the hardest things imaginable to do because everything about our culture is immediate. You push a button on your computer and it happens instantaneously. It's not so with God. There are no buttons. Save the reminder to wait upon the Lord. It's an encouragement to us to take the long view be patient, to trust, to hope, because all who trust will be delivered, and God and deliverance go together. A reminder of this in uh, great word to the children of Israel, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. They're in a hurry to be delivered from the Babylonian captivity. And God tells them through the prophet Isaiah, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's a great reminder that the second exodus for them will begin soon. But in the interim time, they must wait. And in their waiting, he will deliver them and he will make them strong. And their journey from Babylon back to Israel uh, will be one in which they will not stumble or fall because of his presence. So that regardless of the trouble you're in, you can wait upon the Lord. He will hold you up and bear you up as wings of eagles. 
Uh, the concept with wings as eagles is uh, used of God and his deliverance from the children of Israel from the captivity in the iron furnace of Egypt. That is what God does to his children who are in trouble. He bears them up with wings as eagles. That's why when we are troubled, we can call to him and wait upon him because trouble and God go together. That ultimately God will vindicate us. He will vindicate his sons. Great reminders are not. A couple of weeks ago, Psalm 25, in verse 5. Pardon me, Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The table is a celebration from a time of lament. And God celebrates uh, with his sons, and all of the wicked will watch and know that the sons of God were right and they were wrong and they were shut out from the table. The statement of trust uh, turns to an appeal, verses 4 to 11. Uh, in times of trouble, we appeal to God for knowledge, for leading in his way, and that God would remember us in his loyal love and in the greatness of his forgiveness. So in difficult times, we seek uh, guidance uh, from God in prayer. What do we do? I don't know. I should pray. and God will lead me and guide me. The first part of the prayer, verses 4 to 5, constitutes a request for guidance in dealing with a threat according to the ways and the paths of God. Look at verse 4. Make me know your ways. It's the literal reading of the Hebrew Bible. I draw your attention to the verb, know. Make me know your ways. Knowledge is an essential part of the faith. I'm not opposed to feelings, but feelings can lead you astray. We are to know the faith, and you and I know the faith from the objective reality of Holy Scripture. To do right in times of trouble, we must know, and you and I can know from Holy Scripture. Uh, the word uh, way Make me know your way is used six times in this psalm. It is a dramatic reminder that in times of trouble, God has a way. In fact, there is only one way, and it is his way. And we want to know that way, and you and I can know it from Holy Scripture. The repetition highlights that God reveals to us his way in Holy Scripture. It's a profound priority because there are consequences to being outside of the way. Again, if there's only one way, then every other way that purports to be the right way is a way of incredible error and ultimately will lead you into profound trouble. That's why when we're in trouble, we pray to know, and we pray to know the way of God, that he would bless us in that way. A reminder of this in Job chapter 8 and verse 13. Uh, the context is the paths of all who forget God. And then the tragic words, and the hope of the godless will perish. Good reminder that Christ is the only way. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. 
It, it is radically important as a people of God who finds ourselves in trouble from any venue uh, to recognize that God in his grace has provided for us the way in Holy Scripture. There may be 10,000 voices whispering in our ear of another way, but if they depart from Scripture, they are the way of death. That's why the psalmist in this time of immense trouble in his life prays that he would know that way. You and I have a profound advantage to the psalmist because we have the compilation of the way of God in Holy Scripture, as he did not. Secondly, teach me your path. Uh, this verb teach, again, used three times in the psalm. That radical to our faith is the teaching ministry of the Holy Scripture. And that you and I can appeal directly to the Spirit of God to illumine to us the reality of the truth of Scripture. It is a request for understanding, for right application, to be engaged in a time of trouble. Oftentimes in trouble, what owns us more than anything is emotions. Sometimes they grip us in great pain. The Scriptures are the answer to the way in which we must go in trouble. Next, lead me in your truth and teach me. The importance of leading, being led to the right way, highlights, I think, once again, the importance of teaching uh, because improper teaching uh, will get you into extreme trouble. So a great reminder of this in the life of the nation of Israel, uh, the book of Malachi, uh, Malachi chapter 2, in verses 6 to 8, the context is a praise of the man of God, Levi. The father, if you will, of the Levites, to whom was given the teaching ministry of the word of God to the children of Israel. Notice what is said of Levi, Malachi chapter 2, in verses 6 to 8. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, now he's turning to the false Levites. As for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. To remind you of the importance of the teaching ministry of the Word of God. Radical importance that the way is the way out of trouble. And the reason for this request, the psalmist says, that he waits for the God who is his salvation. You and I as Christians have the Spirit as our divine guide uh, to the truth of God. John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The great gift of the sons of the faith, the Spirit of God, is given to illumine to us the truth of the Scripture. 
John chapter 16, verse 13, and when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So you and I have the radical compilation of the very words of God in the scriptures to keep us out of trouble, and when we are in trouble, to show us the way out. And the Spirit of God sent to each of us as the sons of God to illumine the truth. Radical reminder that those who are taught by the Spirit are the delivered, and that God and deliverance go together, regardless of the venue of the trouble. One of my favorite verses respecting the leading of the Spirit, Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, but as many as are the sons of God, these are being led by the Spirit of God. That is the people of faith who have believed and hope in Jesus Christ as uh, the only Redeemer. We are given the Spirit to lead us and to guide us. The context is the Exodus, the last great Exodus from this world to the world to come. As the children of Israel were given the pillar of fire, the pillar of smoke to lead them in the wilderness, you and I are given the Spirit as the sons of God to lead us out of this dangerous world from every venue of trouble to the presence of God in our glorious home in eternity. So know, teach, and lead us out of trouble. The answer, the grace of God to the psalmist who is in trouble. And in trouble we affirm, we affirm God's love and mercy, verses 6 and 7. In times of stress and danger, we have a way of remembering, at least I do, my, my past failures. It's as if Satan comes to our mind and plague us with guilt. The psalmist appeals to God to remember his compassions and his loyal loves. It's interesting, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, the word compassion and loyal love are both in the plural. It almost kind of grates on your ear, but it's a marvelous expression of the grace of God. Remember your compassions to me, Lord. In course of the sons of God, the compassions of God come to us every day. I'm so glad they're plural. If they were singular, we, we might begin to, to wonder if, we, if we'll, we'll ever make it out of this venue, this, this uh, sharp time of being persecuted or this time of danger. No, because of Christ, the compassions and the loyal loves of God reign upon us uh, every day. If they did not, we would all perish. We would be turned into a pillar of salt in but a moment. But God is so gracious to his sons, all who are in Christ. Uh, this word loyal love is a word that you should be intimately familiar with. Uh, very prominent in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, that God loves us. And it is a love that is loyal throughout all time. That loyalty and God go together. That the loyal love of God and deliverance go together. Reminder that God comes for us in the loyalty of his love. He came to us in Jesus Christ, delivered us in the greatest of all troubles, our sin. He came to us in the spirit of God to lead us and to guide us out of this troubled world. 
I love, I love the hymn that we began our worship service with, uh, this morning with because it speaks so beautifully to the loyal love of God that through many dangers, toils, and snares we have already come. Tis grace has seen us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. And that grace is loyal from eternity past to the world yet to come. The, the, the apostle is, uh, pardon me, the psalmist is appealing for these matters because in some manner or form he's in a profound period of emotional distress. But he knows that God is immutable. God's compassions, his loyalty, his love, his goodness, and his mercy abide with all of God's people daily. That it ought to catch our souls that we might return in kind to be loyal to him, faithful to his covenant. Then the psalmist does something that uh, we do oftentimes when we're in trouble. He turns upon himself, verse 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. It's a confession that he has missed the mark and rebelled against God. Uh, the request is that God will deal with him not on the basis of his sin, but his love. And that is what God does. If he dealt with us on the basis of our sin, none of us would make it. But all of the sons of God will make it because he deals with us based upon his love and not our sin. He dealt and dispatched our sin upon the cross. In application, I would tell you that uh, in times of trouble, uh, there is sometimes a measure of wisdom in doing some self-examination. Sometimes it leads us to confession and repentance. But so too does the theology of forgiveness based upon the attributes of God. In our case, forgiveness is the product of our Lord's sacrificial work. And that we are, we are forgiven. If you get very careful about uh, dancing with guilt too very long, uh, because uh, the one that should cut in line to dance with us is the forgiveness of our Lord. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is to propitiate for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He satisfied the wrath of God against us. The word propitiation means satisfaction. He paid the price, paid in full. The bill will never come to you. It's been stamped, paid in full from the cross. He finished the work. I know we still sin. And so what John is telling us in this, this his first epistle is that we have a lawyer who argues our case before God. That lawyer is Jesus Christ. The prosecuting attorney uh, tries to get God the Father to turn away. Uh, but the defense attorney always wins the argument because of who he is, Jesus Christ, and because of what he did upon the cross. That you and I, I know, will sin, and we need to confess our sin, and we need to repent of our sin. But forgiven we are, and we are forgiven forever. Uh, I love the text of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. 
Jesus Christ is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. He sat down because he had finished the work of purification, never to take it up again. The work of propitiation and satisfaction is an unrepeatable work. Cannot be repeated. I know in much of Christianity this very day, it's being repeated even as I stand in the Mass. But we don't do the Mass. We don't sacrifice Christ again and again and again. Because it is a work that cannot be repeated because he is very God of very God. And he finished the work and he sat down. That you and I will come in and out of trouble all of our lives. Go through your troubles knowing this. You are forgiven forever. Essential to our battles is that we are the sons of God. And essential to the battle is that we are forgiven. Reminded of a very beautiful psalm, Confession of Sin, Psalm 32. Great, great reminders. The psalmist uh, uh, speaks to us. Now, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. The great church father, Augustine, had this psalm hung above his deathbed. It's a perpetual reminder that we are forgiven. A promise of God that the forgiven will always be delivered. And God and deliverance go together. When in trouble, we also repair to the promises of God in the, in the context of uh, the fact that we are sinners, and that I'm not unmindful of. Uh, we certainly continue to sin, and so we must be perpetually reminded of the need for confession and repentance. Uh, I do remind you, of course, as a Christian, you do not confess your sin to be forgiven. You confess your sin because you are forgiven. As a radical reminder of the stamp of sonship that is upon your soul that can never be changed and that there can never be a sin that will uh, change our sonship before our eternal God. Uh, verses uh, 8 to 11 it's the psalmist repairing to these great promises of God's love and forgiveness. Because God is good, he will teach sinners in the way and lead and teaches the humble in his way. Teach sinners in the way. Prophet Isaiah says of the members of the Exodus from Babylon that God will teach them. They will be taught of God. It is ultimately a promise of the last great exodus that you and I are a part of. It is of radical importance to remember that John has Jesus quoting that verse as being fulfilled 
in himself in John chapter 6 and verse 45. He says of his followers that uh, the Father leads to him in his sovereign power and grace that they shall all be taught of God. Uh, incredible reminder of God's grace uh, that we shall be taught of God. And that's important because the taught will be delivered. And God teaches all that he delivers. So request for God to affect repentance as a function of his loyal love and truth and our duty, of course, to keep covenant. What a great reminder. What a great reminder that we have a duty. The marvels of the grace of God, his eternal loyal love to us, the doctrines of election, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit to preserve and to protect and to keep us. And yet, our duty to, uh, to, keep, uh, to keep covenant. Verse 10, to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. I remind you of grace, but I also remind you of duty. And I remind you that the only way you can fulfill your duty is to go back to grace. Because it's grace that will keep and protect us regardless of the venue of trouble. I, uh, I find it so sad in the Christian church that uh, so many retreat. It is not the answer to trouble. It's the way of danger. Don't go back. Don't retreat. Keep going forward. It's the point of this great uh, prayer, protection. I come across Christians who leave the church because they get in trouble and they say to themselves, well, God's not going to answer my prayers. So I'll show him. No, my friend, that's the way of incredible danger. God will take care of us. We're to wait upon him. Waiting involves being faithful to covenant, trusting him that he will open the way out. He will make it known. It's a great reminder, is it not, of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. God is faithful. He will provide the way of escape. That faithfulness and God go together. And to all of the sons of God, there is the way of escape. And God will make it so. Burn your bridges behind you. Don't go back. Section closes with an explicit uh, request for mercy and pardon. Right, verse 11. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Reminded of one of the greatest prayers in all the New Testament. A tax gatherer standing some distance away, unwilling even to uplift his eyes to heaven because he felt so unworthy. Beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. He doesn't say be merciful to me, a sinner. He says be merciful to me, the sinner. It's almost that he constituted himself as the only and the greatest sinner of all time. And he's at a distance from the presence of God, beating his breast, looking humbly to the earth. You know what Jesus said of that man? I'll tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather, rather than the Pharisee. Because everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted.
this man, David, Psalm 25, verse 11, is a man that will be exalted because he humbles himself, feeling unworthy, unpardonable, and yet he knows in the grace of God uh, that God is ultimate, eternal pardon. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. That we are forgiven. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. No condemnation. Not even a little condemnation. All pardon. All the time. Because of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, I'm telling you that you have no pardon. If you are a Christian, I'm telling you are. If you're not a Christian, seek it in him. And he will give it in abundance. But be like the tax gatherer. Lower your eyes, beat your breast, reckon who you are, because those are the ones he comes to rescue and to save. A great reminder as uh, well, uh, the Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 8 and verse 39, that we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. More than conquerors, meaning that we will overcome every venue of trouble because of him who loved us. That all of the sons of God will conquer. None will fail because of him who loved us. And by the way, he loved us to the end and he loved us from eternity past. That's why we are more than conquerors. Reminded uh, myself all of the time of the full reality that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, reminded uh, all of the time that Christ in the crucifixion was followed by Easter. And in every one of your troubles and times of persecution and distress, never forget that Easter comes for you because you are a son of God. In times of trouble, we acknowledge that the fear of the Lord is the way of safety and deliverance, verses 12 to 15. In difficult times, it's easy to break and fear men. Ultimately, that's what Satan is attempting to you, to intimidate you, to fear his power rather than the power of God. Fear God rather than Satan, or fear God rather than men. This is the man that God will instruct and make known his counsel to, that our eyes should continually be upon him and not men, because he will rescue our feet from their net. Verse 15. I love this text. My eyes are continually towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Meaning what? He's been caught in the net. He's like a bird. Imagine a bird caught in a net. You think the bird can escape? No. One of the most pitiful sights is a bird caught in a net because the bird is defenseless against the net. If the bird cannot fly away, he cannot escape. The psalmist is saying, God, you can pluck me out of that net. And that's what God does. It's a great reminder, captured for us in a very picturesque way in Psalm 31, verse 4, the wicked dig a pit for me. They camouflage it so that I'm walking along, I'll fall in their pit. God God rescues his sons and he makes the wicked fall in the pit that they dug for the righteous.
I am not unmindful they will come to you. They will come sometimes to shame you. They will come sometimes to unsettle and to unseat you. You never forget, regardless of the net they spread upon you, that God plucks the feet of his sons out of the net and delivers them. Because that is what God does to his sons. The deliverance and God go together. Uh, the other remarkable reminder of this section, verses 12 to 14, 15, is to stay humble in it all. A bird cannot rescue himself from the net. In many cases, you cannot rescue yourself either. Only God can. The point of the text is that God does, and he will wait upon him. That God is always an ally to the humble. He is always opposed to the proud. So stay humble, because the humble are the delivered. And God and deliverance go together. Verses 16 to 21, when we are in trouble, we seek deliverance and protection. This is really the entire point of, of the psalm, that uh, the psalmist is uh, in trouble, but he appeals to God for deliverance and acknowledges God's guidance and forgiveness as the basis of his hope. In the battle, we sometimes feel alone. We are never alone as the sons of God. If you were the only Christian on this world and the entire world was against you, you would not be alone. And God is greater than all the world. He turns to God and says, turn to me and be gracious. God is gracious. He always turns to the cry of his sons. Guard my soul and deliver me. He does. He is a perpetual guard. If you are a Christian, he dispatches angels to watch over you. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. I love that text. Everyone whose name is written in the book will be delivered. The eternal decrees of God of election, he never forgets his sons. God has no books, of course. He doesn't go to the library and pull it out and look up your name. He knows your name from eternity past. If he knows your name as a son of God from eternity past, the deliverer will come for you. So says Daniel, chapter 12, in verse 1, in the great picture of the archangel Michael, who is the protector of the sons of God. He says, teach me integrity and brightness. He does, they will preserve us, they always have. I might remind you again of the words of the... Uh, Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Faithful is God. He will make the way of escape. Uh, the last section of our psalm is really the last verse. Verse 22. It's interesting uh, because in the Hebrew Bible, this breaks the acrostic. Something radical has happened to the psalmist uh, to change his, uh, the purity of his mnemonic device. Uh, perhaps it's because he transitions from an individual prayer to a national prayer. He prays for the nation. He prays for, if you will, the true saints, the true righteous remnant in the nation. 
He prays for the people of God. The humble of heart, led by the Spirit, those who are taught and instructed, uh, those who wait, and those who are the forgiven. It's a great prayer. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. The word redeem is to ransom. Ransom us from all of our troubles. The Greek translation has the word tribulation. Through many tribulations we shall enter the kingdom of God. God will answer this prayer. He will redeem his people. He will see them through. A great reminder, if you will, in the book of the Revelation, uh, chapter 5 and verse 9. Uh, the ultimate ransom, Jesus Christ, thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests, and they will reign upon the earth. The ultimate answer for the prayer for a ransom, we will reign upon the earth. We are reigning now. We are overwhelmingly conquerors to him who loved us. That we walk in the stature of king priests because of Jesus Christ who loved us. Redeem, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. National prayer. And so, in troubled times, that will break upon all of us. Whether you're a Christian in North Korea, maybe a prison camp, seemingly no way out and no hope whatsoever, this psalm would tell you otherwise. Maybe you're in some trouble. Maybe family has turned against you. Maybe a friend. Maybe a boss. Maybe some faculty council is meaning to meeting someday this week to question your credentials because you don't buy into the theory of evolution that's so prominent in the world today. This is your prayer for that day and the reminder to wait upon the Lord and he will come for you and he will pluck your feet out of the net because you belong to him and he will not forget you and he delivers all who are his own because God and deliverance go together and is worth waiting for all the time for every time